Welcome to another In the Money Players podcast. Nick Tamaro here filling in for PTF. He's busy with other Thanksgiving weekend racing activities. Of course, that includes a podcast covering the Del Mar action for the weekend. Churchill as well. Be sure to take a look around the network to find those. As far as this show goes, I'll be joined by a couple of guests to cover the New York Racing Association and Aqueduct Saturday card, a 10-race program on tap. We'll cover the pick six. I'll be joined by Sarah Elbadwi to do so. You can also find Sarah on Talking Horses on Saturday morning at about 11 o'clock or so Eastern time, a.m. And then uh, after that, I'll have Drew Coatney here to talk about Woodbine, covering races 7 through 10. A little bit of Thanksgiving chatter as well with Drew. So thanks for being on board, and let's get started. Next up on this edition of the Players Podcast, this is Nick Tamaro deputizing for Peter Thomas Fornatel for these segments. I have Sarah Elbadwi from the New York Racing Association joining me to cover Saturday's Aqueduct Pick 6, races 5 through 10 on Saturday afternoon. No more turf racing in New York, but still a really competitive card. And Sarah, I'm sure you're uh, you're gearing up for your first full winter in New York, right? But this shouldn't be too bad weather-wise. You're, you're a Northeasterner from way back. Yeah, pretty much. I, I grew up in uh, in New York, so it's kind of like coming home to the, the cold, dark winters, but uh, they haven't been too bad lately, especially not downstate. Uh, I was a little bit spoiled when I lived in Kentucky as far as winter weather, but this is no stranger. Let's hope that it stays that way, and uh, we're, it feels like, at least racing-wise, we're getting closer to the winter with the uh, turf race turf season ending last week. But I'll tell you, Sarah, I've been uh, I was surprised and pleasantly surprised by the quality of the the three cards this week. I know having one less day of racing certainly helps as well, but uh, really no drop off at all in the quality of the program, even without turf. Exactly. And we've had so many uh, unfortunate circumstances as far as weather. So now at least going into the rest of this winter and the start of next year, these are scheduled dirt races. You know what you're getting yourself into as far as prepping your own handicapping ahead of time. So um, if you're trying to find that silver lining, to me, that's it as far as knowing everything will be on one particular surface and the races stay competitive. I mean, even when you have those lower levels or those claiming races, you, you still have plenty of situations where there's opportunities and there are opportunities at every track at any time, if you can really find them. Yeah. Some of the turf racing this time of year can get very random as well. So I'm not going to, not going to cry about it being gone. We'll be ready for it to come back in the spring. Well, this sequence uh, on Saturday afternoon begins in race five and starts with some hard knocking claimers, that we'll probably see do battle a half dozen times or so throughout the winter going a mile, $10,000 claimers. We're going to have a pretty heavy favorite with uh, number nine or number eight, excuse me, hammer and armor. Did you think that hammer and armor was uh, a pretty safe one to back with his uh, 13 career victories? Or were you looking elsewhere? You know, this is a horse that I've liked <clears throat> over his last two starts, really. And I think the time to like him and want to bet on him uh, was two races ago when he ended up finishing second behind a horse in bold victory at eight to one that day. Last time, shorter price, $10,000 level, runs a pretty similar race finishes second again so I think that he's pretty reliable he's not a horse that I would be having um, any interest in leaving out of my sequence but I couldn't fully trust him uh, just as far as a single going in uh, I thought that Blake B was a little bit interesting a horse that uh, from time to time can run a pretty solid race and can be more aggressive and I thought that he came back with a decent effort off a bit of a freshening since June 24th and ran third at a huge price running a that raised at 55 to 1 with a 75 buyer speed figure, something we had not seen from him in quite some time. So I'd want to throw him in there a little bit and hope that they could be more aggressive with him. 
Yeah, felt like that was the kind of race that showed that he was ready to to maybe get back into top form. And this trainer, Jesus Romero, I've, I've watched a couple of times him put across decent priced horses, especially more towards the uh, the slower times of year. And um, I thought this horse was interesting as well. I didn't think Grumps Little Tots was totally out of the equation. The problem is he never wins and he, he drops 100 lengths off the pace. But, <laughs> but Charlie Baker's finally putting blinkers on him. It's like this is the 44th career start. He's putting blinkers on him, perhaps to get him a little bit sharper early. He is sacrificing the weight break he had last time by putting Jose Gomez back on. There isn't an abundance of speed, I and mean, it's going to be a tough ask, but that seems to always be the case with Grumps Little Tots, who makes things a lot harder on himself. He does. He's he's a frustrating horse to like, but I will say that even last time, you sort of saw uh, what might have seemed like a random winner in Lord Gatling, but he did have races to go back to that would have made him very competitive in that spot, and then he was finally aggressively handled in there, so I don't think he was facing a bunch of complete nobodies as much so as it might look on paper at first glance. I agree completely. Let's go on to anybody else to add for for race five. Or are you? Uh... I feel like that's kind of it. I mean, after that, you'd have to go pretty deep to feel comfortable. So that's sort of where I would want to lean as far as my tickets. I I agree. On to race six. This is a New York bread allowance event at uh, six furlongs. Of course, on the main track, all of the races are going to be on the main track on Saturday afternoon. You know, relatively competitive race, especially depending on how you feel about Big Bean Christine, but Better Humor Me felt like a horse that even off a maiden win, David Aragona has installed as the 5-2 to two morning line favorite. There are some horses in here that have consistently run faster by our speed figures, but first time Lasix on the daughter of Distorted Humor, who got it done at second asking. Are you a for or against Better Humor Me? I'd say I'm pretty against it, but when you look around, I can understand the argument for because there just isn't a ton to like uh, as far as keying in on one specific horse. But with her, defeating a horse like Foxy Kara isn't exactly a compliment uh, as far as being able to get your maiden win second asking because Foxy Kara is a horse that's just been kind of relatively disappointing. She had some big races that uh, were behind horses like Ichiban and, and, and Richie's Princess, um, who ran really well uh, first time out. But lately, the races that she's been running just don't make her a competitive type. And Better Humor Me was running into her in one of those less competitive efforts. So I don't necessarily think all that much of the horse that she was beating. Therefore, I would try to play against her. And a horse like Big Bean Christine, tough to trust, seems to have that propensity to hit the board without winning. But I think that her, as well as a horse like Raining Chick, are just kind of the ones that you want to gravitate to rather than your favorite in here. And then you have a couple of horses. I mean, even Stella Mars, her dirt numbers aren't great, but they don't make her so out of it, given that I feel as though she's improved overall as a horse, even though it has been on the grass. I think that's fair. Um, I, I don't have I don't have much argument with that. Um, Big Bean Christine, I thought, ran well last time out. That was kind of a driving finish with a number of horses in contention in the final furlong or so. That was on Breeders' Cup Friday. And the race was ultimately won by Solib, who came from uh, really the same spot that Big Bean Christine did. She was two to three wide much of the way. Rail may not have been the place to be at that time, but I don't think there was much excuse. The horse that underperformed in there that was well-backed was Raining Chick. And, you know, that made you kind of wonder if maybe she is just the $16,000 claimer 
that Peter Walder made her out to be with that late Saratoga, late uh, July start at Saratoga. I'm not sure how much I want to, I want to put my money on a horse like reigning chick. I, I hear you. I, I think better humor me beat a, a very mediocre group of horses, but I, I wonder if they, there's an upside conversation that, uh, that this horse is probably going to get better. Whereas we kind of know what we're getting from everybody else. What about Queens masterpiece for Jimmy Bond on the outside uh, potential pace stalker? Yeah, I mean, this seems like the other logical type and, and one that is a little bit more lightly raced than others. And you could obviously forgive some of her earlier races as far as the company that she was keeping just better horses than she's going to be running into in here and, and ran well last time to finish second uh, at seven to one. Um, Sikkim's a horse that doesn't necessarily win much, but is one that I like a little bit. And also a horse like Carbon was in that field and, and Clover Street was kind of the disappointing factor uh, in that spot that day. So I think that I would try to play against the favorite and use all of the two threes and sevens to get me through this. I like that. Two, three, and seven for Sarah to get through that second leg. On to race number seven, a $20,000 maiden claimer in going six furlongs on the main track. Alibi Ike for Wesley Ward. Oh, one of these Wesley Ward horses that you have to figure <laughs> out. One off a off a five-month layoff, off a beaten uh, effort at four to five. This This just looks like fun. This is this is the one that was scratched at the gate at Saratoga, correct? In the race that was won by Tencent Town because he was favored and then favoritism shifted to that um, horse that ended up being claimed by Linda Rice, who didn't run that badly the other day. I think that's him, if yeah, I'm correct. I, I'm, I'm almost positive you're right, yeah. Okay. Uh, look, he, he can win. He's tough to trust. But unfortunately, these types of situations, Wesley Ward usually does produce horses that are going to show up with performances that are kind of just good enough to get it done here. Uh, I will say that a horse that I've tried to give a million chances to, uh, and I might not be totally done with yet, is When Love Takes Over, who show that he had a little bit of something early on in his career and, and was running against pretty good horses. I mean, he was in that toxic gray, ever so mischievous race, second time out. Showed a good uh, effort on the turf when trying that surface for the first time. And, and now they're just being so realistic with him. Uh, he didn't really run well at all on October 13th. But I thought that last time, running third that day on November 2nd, Showed that maybe this might be a level that he's capable of competing at. That was third off of a layoff. And he he was in a spot where he wasn't fighting the rider quite as much as he had been in the past. He was still close enough, but he wasn't being sort of taken just off the pace and hard held. And I think that that might have been a situation where he didn't really feel comfortable in. So from the rail, I just want them to go with him finally and just let him be aggressively handled, be a clear uh, horse that can be forwardly placed. And uh, that might be a little bit of a tough ask with a horse like Grand again. But at the same time, I think that that might be the best way for him to end up being successful. So I, I'd want to throw him in there somewhere. And, and a horse like Borletti, who... Uh, seems to be making this drastic change going from the turf to the dirt and dropping in class significantly, who has such a turf pedigree. This is just such an odd move that I, I know that he's been entered for the dirt a couple of times. So I know that this is their intention and I'd want to throw him in there as well. Yeah, he's a tough horse to get a read on. I mean, you're, it, my initial inclination with him being a new gelding is that uh, they're looking to move on. Um, going down to 20. I mean, if you had thought maybe there was a little meat on the bone, you'd probably go to, to 40, but um, they're willing to let somebody take him for 20, which, you know, hey, don't know 
what it really costs to get him over and whatnot, but uh, they're they're at least looking to move on. So much for my theory that Gio Ponti could have ended up being a decent dirt sire. <laughs> he actually had a very good pedigree for dirt. Um, that did not really pan out, but he's the damn sire, of course, of Borletti. Um, I agree with you. I, you know, I do think one of the horses you mentioned who's going to be a big price is Grand again. And, you know, all of the discussion about they need to go, they need to go. Romero Mirage is a guy who's probably going to go. And, and this horse's best races have undoubtedly been when he's been involved early. Um, I'm not altogether worried about the layoff because obviously something happened and now he's he's back. And um, these are connections that aren't going to get a lot of support. So, yeah, excellent horse to include at a big price, in my opinion, in a race where you're supposed to be taking a, a healthy try against the likes of Alibi Ike. Because, as you mentioned, while Wesley Ward may win with these types, there's just nothing fun about taking Alibi Ike at a short price. Uh, when he lost for 20 with uh, six months, five months ago. Right, exactly. And, and if this is a horse that wins and you don't have strong opinions as far as at least alternatives to favorites or, or something a little bit spicier within your sequence, it's it's really not worth playing. So these are the types of horses you have to try to beat. Totally agree. Let's uh, move on to race number eight, a two other than optional claimer at a mile on the main track where we'll have uh, number one, Bustin Bay, likely go off a pretty strong favorite she comes in off an effort uh where she actually won at this level but was disqualified for breaking through the gate prior to the start bustin bay is uh looking for her sixth win of 2023 it's been a very very good run are you uh, what are your thoughts on bustin bay and everybody else look she's a horse that i really didn't love last time because she was stepping up a little bit i mean she was going from that state bread company into open company and that was a much tougher field than she had been facing uh, over her last couple of races but she ran i mean whether or not uh she got a little bit of that head start by beating the gate uh, causing her own issue with that situation she was forwardly placed and she was given a great ride with all circumstances considered so it's an unfortunate situation where I feel as though they made the right call because you can't have that sort of advantage over the rest of the field. But I don't think that there was any way that she wasn't winning that race regardless. So she's a horse that I have a, a bit of a tough time getting around. Now, I do think that there are alternatives if you want to look for them. I horse like Into Happiness, who has faced some good horses over her last two starts and was in great form at Saratoga. Over the summer, uh, a horse that I'm not in love with in here would be comparative coming back for Brad Cox, who is a horse that's likely to take a little bit of support in the wagering uh, because he generally does well with these types. But I don't know how good she is in general. And none of her races really tell me that she's so much better than horses that might be similar prices when I'm looking at second or third choices. Yeah, I, I have a. I have a hard time really buying her off the layoff in large part because she had a, she had a great trip in that Keeneland win two starts back and uh, Hey, you never know who she ran down in there only ran one more time before going to the shelf. And perhaps it was something that happened, but she ran on Kentucky Derby or not Kentucky Oaks day and finished ninth at 18 to one um, showing a little bit of speed and then fading the third place finisher forever. Dixie did come back and run well, but it was all on the synthetic up at Woodbine. And I don't take those, those efforts from Mark Cassie horses seriously. Um, and the, you know, the one other horse ran well, and it was a horse who ended up getting awarded the first person, a 75 claimer. So, you know, this is a horse that he obviously had some high aspirations for, and she didn't fulfill them, went to the shelf. And now, I, I mean, I think we're going to get less than that four to one. I feel like this horse is going to be very attractive at the windows for a lot of people with this barn and 
Um, and David's David's the best. So I, I, you know, I don't know how much shorter than this she'll be, but it barring scratches of some sort, I think you'll probably have to deal with three to one or so. I mean, I think she'll go off a shorter price than, uh, or she'll go off a comparable price to into happiness who, you know, people are going to get away from eventually because of her inability to stay within range early in these races. She was a little bit closer last time out, but I mean, it, she almost had to be, it was a four horse race and Dylan Davis had to get after her early just to keep her within range. I don't like her style at a mile. I think this is a, I know she wanted a mile at Saratoga. I'm still surprised that she won that <laughs> mile. I think she's a, a far more effective one run closing type. And to be honest with you, if I wanted off the pace horse in here, I'd rather have toned up. Yeah, that's completely fair. And I mean, when you're talking about Into Happiness's win at a mile, it's at Saratoga, so it's out of the chute, so it's a slightly different configuration as well. So uh, but you're not dealing with the same type of setup going into this spot. Uh, look, I think that Boston Bay is going to be really tough to get around. I guess the other horse that might be attractive is Missy Greer, who did at least show some signs of life last time and, and will be forwardly placed, but she was alone in front. Last time, she might be alone in front again, but again, these horses have been able to run her down, so uh, I don't I don't fully trust her to seal the deal this time either. Yeah, it feels like she's going to have to really go <clears throat> aggressively clear to, to have much of a chance, but um, I don't I don't know. I don't know if she's I don't know if she's got that club in her bag anymore, so to speak. It seems like right. she's, she's having a little bit of, of an issue with stamina over and over. Really fun eighth race there. Let's go to race nine. First half of the late double. It's a featured event on the card, the grade three comely at a mile and an eighth. And a you know an interesting group came together. Of course, Kichera, who won the uh the Mother Goose, ran at Churchill yesterday and and took the Fall City at a whopping one to nine. And some of the vanquished <laughs> runners behind her from the Mother Goose are back in here, including the runner-up to Finding Purpose and the fourth place finisher, Julia Shining. You've got the Remington Park Oaks winner and Honor D Lady. And the morning line favorite is the eight Raging Sea, who Sarah did the unthinkable. She won a race, <laughs> of course, coming out of last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. It looked like something that could not happen. She was able to get it done, and now she's in a situation where she comes back off Lasix to face Graded Stakes Company from the outside post going a mile and an eighth at, at Aqueduct. I'm not sure how much I want to assume that Raging Sea is going to run quite as well again. Right, and, and even let's say she does, this is a tougher field that we're dealing with here, and uh, I was thinking about that when watching this race, and, and you almost kind of want to root for, not not anything against her or her connections, but you want to root for it to still stay true that no one has won out of that Breeders' oh, Cup sure. Juvenile Absolutely. <laughs> And it's not as though she did it overly convincingly or against a tough field, so at the same time, she got the win, she was able to uh, be the one and only to do so out of that race, and she earned a 91 buyer speed figure doing so, but sloppy sealed track and, and a horse that she's been defeated by a couple of others in here that are likely to be better prices and I, I think that this is a fun and competitive race because you have horses like her and horses like Julia Shining that the public loves to bet and so I think that that makes everybody else a much more fair and enticing price to be interested in because I think that just Catherine and, and even Defining Purpose are, are much more appealing um, than those two. I agree. I agree. I think just, I think defining purpose is clearly the horse to beat in this field. I I think that uh, that any any discussion of this race comes back to her. Um, I thought her mother goose effort was fine. You know, obviously the winner was clearly best, and I thought defining purpose ran a totally credible race. She has a lot of tactical speed. I think that's a real weapon. Um, I I I like the draw in that. 
I think Junior can put her in position and let everybody else react to him because it feels like Ichiban will go and um, and you'll have Honor D. Lady probably a little bit forwardly placed as well. So now I, I think Defining Purpose is clearly the horse to beat. Um, you mentioned Julia Shining and Pat uh, briefly. Um, I, you know, I don't I don't know. Andy Serling has a, a strong theory and he kind of <laughs> peeling the 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 the, co- the uh, the curtain back a little bit. He and I sort of developed his theory on the phone together one time. I said to him, you know, I, I think she might actually be better going shorter. And a lot of times these horses that you really have to ride the hair off of, they have, um, they have an ability to produce a, a bid that will really do exactly what she did in her debut. And I know that you don't want to use that for a horse now that has six career starts as a race that describes her quite a bit, but I mean, Positano Sunset ran second in there and she came back to be basically a, you know, grade three stake type horse for Ian Wilkes and Julia Shining blew the brakes. She was a mile out and just ran by everybody on the far turn. And I think she might just be a horse that, that she runs very inefficiently. And I think she might be a lot more efficient at a shorter trip. I don't know what to do with her in here, Sarah. I, I, I think the bloom is off the rose. Um, but I'm also not going to be shocked if it's a scrum at the eighth pole and here comes Julia Shining over the top. Right. And I think the problem with her is that I could like her at, you know, four to one, five to one, six to one, seven to one, sometimes in certain situations, but she's never a fair enough price given the circumstance because everybody just sees Malafat's little sister. And so no matter what sort of performance she's put out lately, as long as she's running credibly enough, she's still not going to be a big enough price to take that chance with her. And I have a theory in, in response to your theory and, and Andy's about her wanting shorter, um, and I could totally get on board with that. I have this theory that Luis Saez is a rider that learned how to ride horses in that way because of essential quality, especially because he was one of those horses that you did have to get after over and over again to keep asking, or he would stop giving you his absolute best. And so I think that that's a riding style that he then thought, okay, this horse also needs to be ridden like that. Uh, Tabit Trice, a perfect example of that as well, where you have to keep asking and asking and some horses I do believe are like that, but I think that that's something that he's, uh, brought to the party a little bit more than maybe fully necessary because he knows that he can do that and that it's worked a couple of times. So I don't know if that is or isn't absolutely true for her, but I see him start to do it with a lot of horses that aren't forwardly placed. And I wonder if sometimes that's not necessarily what they want or what they'll respond to best. But going back to the rest of the players in this race, I think defining purpose and then just Catherine are the two horses that I'd really want to focus in on because I think with just Catherine, you can make an excuse for her last race over that sloppy sealed track that was, had a lot of standing water in the cotillion and she's a horse that was wide and that was the track where you wanted to be a bit more forwardly placed to be most successful. And if you go two back, she was able to defeat a horse like raging sea. And I get that you could try to maybe possibly make the Lasix argument for her a little bit, but I know that she ran well enough finishing second to randomize in the Wilton off Lasix. So she's another one that I would want to uh, make sure is on my tickets as well as defining purpose. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think just Catherine's runner-up effort in the Wilton, as you just mentioned, might be the best running line in the field. So uh, I think taking her seriously is is uh, is the right approach. Um, her mile and an eighth win two back over Raging Sea, also another good effort. So I agree. I'm glad you you brought her back up. I think she's one that you want to definitely include in the conversation. Thirty seconds on my Louis Sias theory. I think Come part on. of it is also that he. I agree with you, and and I do think he's he's his career has always been elevated by 
putting horses forward. I also think that Luis Saez physically is a rider that uses his arms a lot more than guys like Irad Ortiz and Manny Franco. And some of the guys are a little bit taller that probably use their legs. If you look at those guys when they're asking their horses to go, you're going to see Irad using his entire body, whereas Luis is almost all arms. So it's Rajiv Mirage was one that was very comparable as well. He was almost all upper body. So it was always going to look like his horses were in this horrible all-out drive. And I mean, you'll never see Javier Castellano move his hands on Julia Shining in her last start like Luis did every single time because they're just going to look very different on horseback. So yeah. I think it's a, it's a little bit of those things. And it, it does make it an exaggerated thing. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Johnny Velasquez rode the hair off of Malathot a number of times. Oh, yeah. I mean, she absolutely. was a horse that you, you absolutely had to get going. Going and there were so many times where um, she really didn't look like she was going to get there and did. Um, she was also effective at distances ranging from seven furlongs and up also. So it's an interesting conversation. I mean, I, I, honestly, I don't think we'll be having this discussion because I think this will probably be it for Julia Shining. I really don't think there's any reason to leave her um, on the racetrack next year. But hey, if they do, you know, maybe she can, maybe Todd can unlock her a little bit and, and we'll see some of the promise that she showed uh, a little earlier in her career. So fun edition of the Comely. Looking forward to that. Let's go to the nightcap. It's at six furlongs on the main track, a $30,000 New York bred maiden claiming event. Fun way to close out the card with some of our old friends. How are we going to do it, Sarah? <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish so much that the race her Moda morning grouch last time and her dirt debut came back just a bit faster because I thought that she ran very well in there. Uh, first time on that surface and, and also dropping in for a tag um, that was pretty comparable to this for the $40,000 level, but it's just a slow race. Unfortunately, I mean, she only got a 35 buyer speed figure for finishing second in there. So, uh, it leads me to not fully trust a horse like that. And I think that you're dealing with a situation where Chiara is a horse to beat that when she's been in for a tag, she's run numbers that are just faster than what a lot of horses have though. At the same time with her, you have to wonder a little bit what sort of level she's at because she was off for quite some time from January until October, came back at a short price at Finger Lakes and she had a little bit of trouble at the start, um, but was really disappointing in that effort. So maybe she just needed one off the bench, but I don't really know who she is anymore. And then a horse like Purist Performance, who is uh, one with a little bit more upside, who's cutting back in distance, at least on, a, on dirt, and has that one second place finish uh, going a mile. In an off-the-turf race, I think that she's another one worth considering just because she hasn't really done this, and so she hasn't really disappointed while doing so yet. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I can't. I didn't think you'd be the type that would get behind a, a seventh-place finish at 6-5 to five at Finger Lakes against the <laughs> Open Maiden Special Weight Runners. The open, open Maiden Special Weight races up there are definitely not... Uh, not considerably tougher than a 30 maiden claimer downstate. So I think Kiara is a horse that you'd probably want to take a swing against as much as possible. Purest performance is going to get some money and was second two starts back in a race taken off the turf. That field was brutal, though, once the scratches came in. And I almost feel like this horse was second by default. With that said, I mean, she's shown a good amount of early speed in her last two starts, one on turf, one on dirt. And with all due respect to Shannon Usky, this is a this is an upgraded jockey to Ruben Silvera. Precisely. And, and I think that uh, this is just a situation where uh, when you look around at everybody else outside of a couple that we have already mentioned, you have a horse that did no running first time out in Darling Cat, who 
is probably not very fast. Sweet Liberty is a horse that some people might be interested in. I am not. I think that we saw some of her better efforts uh, about a year ago, and we just not have not seen her really come back over the summer um, with those same kind of efforts because she's running basically the same race, whether she's in for a tag or not, and ni- neither of them are very good. So... Uh, that being said, I don't really fully trust her, though I can understand if she's the one that gets the job done, and I won't be entirely surprised. And then after that, the only other interesting option might be Lady Banker, who at least was forward, led her last dirt start, and there was some pace pressure in there, but that was also an off-the-turf race at Laurel, so another one that's a little bit tough to uh, really sink your teeth into. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna you're gonna make a big bet that she's a dirt horse, it seems like a like a very risky proposition. But you know, that's some of what you're gonna have to do in a thirty thousand dollar maiden claimer for New York breads. Um, I, I would even I tried to make a case for Bella Isola just as a as a first time starter, thinking that this race needed the ultimate fresh face and new angle, and that was a little tough as well. So it's uh, it's a fun way to close it out. Maybe maybe a, maybe a race that would be a little bit better on the front end of the sequence than the back just to, to get it done with. But alas, that is what we will face on Saturday afternoon. Can we get you, are you on Talking Horses this weekend? Yes, I will be on uh, Saturday with Andy. So I will go through the races that we went through as well as the first part of the card in more depth there. Um, and then I'll be on Sunday as well. That sounds great. Looking forward to it very much. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me here. It's been a lot of fun, as it always is. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the uh, on the Fox Sports Show as well and on Talking Horses over the weekend. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Sarah Elbadwi, and we'll keep this show going right now. Bet horse racing with Naira Bets no matter where you are is the official betting app of all Naira tracks. Naira Bets provides top-of-the-line video streaming, exclusive bonuses on racetracks worldwide, plus a -a one-of-a-kind VIP rewards program. Available nationwide, it's easy to be part of the action with NairaBets. Download the app or visit NairaBets.com to earn up to a $200 deposit match for new members. Be sure to tune into America's Day at the Races live on Fox Sports TV. The schedule can be found at uh, www.naira.com slash aqueduct slash racing slash TV schedule. NairaBets free-to-play. Win real prizes. Sign up today, freetoplay.nairabets.com. Sign up for Naira Bets again and get that $200 deposit match new member bonus. Up next, I am joined by Drew Coatney to cover the Woodbine action on Saturday afternoon, the season winding down. I think we've got three weekends left at Woodbine, if I remember correctly. I did see the 2024 dates were just issued, and they'll get started again in late April. We love our partnership with our friends north of the border. Drew, you're uh, recovering from Thanksgiving, I would imagine, but looking forward to some Saturday Woodbine action. I am. I am. Yeah, this is the best part of the the Thanksgiving weekend. Now the work is done. The leftovers are in the fridge. Uh, All it's left to do is handicap and uh, win some wagers here. So we did a fried turkey for the first time this year. Fantastic. A really fun way to get outside, enjoy some fresh air while you're cooking and, uh, you know, don't burn the house down. And uh, we succeeded. So I'm ready to keep rolling that success into the weekend over at Woodbine. Glad to hear that you were able to avoid the... uh some of the horrible scenes you see on YouTube from people who, so it, I mean, give me the, the Cliff's Notes version of how do you, what is, what is the problem that people run into? Do they put a frozen turkey into a vat of, of flaming hot oil? Yeah, well, I think the, the Cliff Notes version is people don't realize how long it takes to thaw out. So you got ice in a cavity that you maybe you yeah. thought was thawed out. And then part two is uh, getting their oil way too hot, not using a thermometer, not measuring it. Um, so 
those two lead to the tremendous boil overs, but it's disgusting using four and a half gallons of oil to cook anything, frankly. So uh, <laughs> just, just keep a fire extinguisher and follow some basic safety etiquette. And you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. We went the more conventional route and I, I got up yesterday and put turkey in the oven at 830 or so in the morning and, and it worked out just fine. But I've always I've always kind of wanted to fry one and I think it'll it'll be in my future for sure. But uh, I'll certainly take the advice from you and everybody else. Make sure it's I guess one of the solutions there is to just buy a fresh turkey, right? <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I buy a fresh turkey every year. I hate I, I just loathe the, the process of thawing out and everybody make sure your turkey's out four days in advance. And I was like, nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I live in a big enough city that I can go buy a fresh turkey two days before Thanksgiving. So <laughs> yeah, mine was out for a full uh eight days and still had ice in it. So wow. yeah, the, the woes of the woes of defrosting a turkey, but yeah. Yeah, it was great. And then uh, the other thing I got into that uh, banged me up uh, a little bit here is port. I, I had some port for the first time at dinner and uh, maybe fell in love with that new drink a little bit too much. And I'll be taking some time away from her, but it was delicious. <laughs> we, I know nobody tuned in to hear this, but my wife <laughs> bought a football game drinking game. And so we did it for the 49ers Seahawks game where you draw five cards. And if certain things happen in the game, then you have to drink. Oh, and, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Next interception, next fumble, next sack, um, next car commercial, next insurance commercial. It was a lot of fun. And it was, it was a small group of us by that point. And uh, we drank quite a bit. So, <laughs> it well, it made, it made a game that was pretty much over before it started uh, a little bit more interesting, though. So that's fun. That's hilarious. No question about it. It was uh, it was definitely a uh, one way to do it. So, well, let's get into this Woodbine late pick four, which starts in race number seven at 4.03 Eastern time. A one other than optional claimer at six furlongs on the Tapita surface where all of the racing uh, from here on out in 2023 will take place. Drew, how are you going to get this thing started? Yeah, I love a horse in here. Actually, I think this sequence overall is pretty sneaky good. Um, excuse me. The number two Lantana lady stepping up in class a little bit. But that last race in the N3L ranks stuck behind a wall of horses the entire far turn, rank as could be, and husbands had, just knew this horse was loaded, got some daylight, and just kicked on clear. So at 8-1 to one in a really tight field that I think uh, is hard to split hairs on, I think the, the two Lantana lady is going to get the perfect setup because there's speed everywhere in this race too. So the number two Lantana lady, and then I'm going to go to the rail, the number one Jill. Uh, I, I just think that that last race is a throwaway. And if you go beyond that, I think everything else fits on this uh, on this runner here. Just speed, uh, general ability to stalk and press the pace. And I think it's going to get a ground saving trip. So two in here for me, but really liking the Lantana Lady at the eight to one. Uh, even six to one feels like a good price. Yeah, agreed with Patrick Husbands on board coming off that good win uh, against Three Life Company. I think she looks like a very good fit. The one Jill, of course, a winner two back at 10 to 1, failed as the favorite last time at this level in for the tag once again by virtue of her five career wins, some of which have come against one other than company. So I think class-wise, both of them fit very well. I suppose there's going to be a great deal of support for the seven Miss Vivianne who steps up in class I wonder if she might just be a little bit better on the turf, though her mm -hmm. last two local starts for Julia Carey have both been very good. Yeah, and, and the number 10 to Viri, what are the in-and-out type of pattern on this runner here? I don't know what to make of the number 10 Viri. So I think those two are going to take some money here. 
yeah, when Viri is good, she's very, very good. But I think a horse that you can comfortably take a little bit of a, of a stand against does feel like there'll be plenty of pace in here, which of course will help uh, to a great extent, both of the horses that you like, especially the two Lantana lady. Let's go to leg number two, race eight. It's the Coronation Futurity at a mile and an eighth on the Tapita surface for two-year-olds stretching it way out. And that includes the two Naptown for Graham Motion, who was a runaway winner last time out. You don't often get the comment cruised home through stretch, but that's what this son of Munnings did when victorious breaking his maiden going seven eighths. And uh, that was a race that was taken off the turf and is now in a situation where he'll be one of the favorites in a restricted race because he's a Canadian bred. Yeah. And that's, that's who I landed on the top choice. And I really dug into the Munnings uh, line, which I know Marshall Graham is a big fan of Munnings. I think at least uh, as of a couple years Huge ago. Huge fan of Munnings. Yeah. Um, and the routers on synthetic for Munnings are 18% or something crazy great like that. So I think Naptown is going to stretch out fairly well. And I think did it professionally being a little tight and uncomfortable in that six furlong maiden event now stretches out. Um, I'm going to be completely fading to generate some value. The number seven Piper uh, Piper's factor. I think Piper's factor at five to two is going to take some money as well. A speed type of horse with overall figures that fit, but is going to be going longer is going to get more pace. And I just don't know if this horse is tough enough to hang in with the likes of the pressing horses that are going to be gunning for this horse at the eighth pole. And I think, the number seven Piper's factor is going to be a sitting duck. So the two for me in Naptown in this event. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. Of course, the, the dam side pedigree on Naptown very much geared towards being able to go longer, um, being out of a Medallia d'Oro mare. And uh, Munnings, of course, in his lone opportunity going around two turns, had the misfortune of running into Rachel Alexandra. So it was not uh, not, not the greatest opportunity to try a bit more distance. But the uh, the damn gold medalist was never won, but she did in her final career start finish second at a mile and a 16th. And there's a, a Pinafore's Pride is the second dam here. And she was a productive Canadian bred as well. So I think this horse will stretch out. I like your thought process also. You know, one of the things that's a challenge about these two-year-old races uh, north of the border is that they can use Lasix. And Kevin Attard is adding Lasix to the three King Rosso who comes out of that same gray, um, a race where the pace largely held together. I wondered if he might be worth a look at a bit of a price too, because I think he's going to be one that could benefit from from things heating up on the front end. So maybe one worth uh, worth throwing in for a bit as well. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. Got to got to keep uh, keep on those Lasix uh, switches. On to race number nine, the third leg in the sequence. It is the Princess Elizabeth, the Philly half of the Coronation Futurity. Uh, this one is at a mile and a 16th as opposed to a mile and an eighth. And I think when all is said and done, we'll likely have a favorite in the six, Olivia Rose, who comes in. We've talked about her prior to her last start, which she won in wire-to-wire fashion around one turn in the South Ocean. Stretching it out, what do you think of Olivia Rose? Yeah, you got to be worried about the distance, right? I think Olivia Rose is a speed horse, but has been able to control everything her own way. I'm going with the number three war painter at six to one. Uh, I'm assuming the, the pace is going to get hot with Olivia Rose, more money, honey, having to send sounds practical, having to send. I think that's going to set up perfectly for war painter here who two back in the Victoria queen stakes was able to stalk into a slow pace and get up and get the win against Olivia Rose last out faced my boy, Prince, who came and ran uh, at the Breeders' Cup that we got to see a couple weeks ago. And I think the number three war painter is going to set up beautifully in this spot. 
I'm also going to use a Rosa, the number two at three to one. Another horse who faced a lot of Breeders' Cup horses, Carson's Run, My Boy Prince. Again, going over to the Breeders' Cup just wasn't a match for uh, those types. So two back is where I'm going to focus on uh, in the catching limb stakes. Again, stalked, uh, finished well, and that's exactly what we're looking for. And I think Erosa was a really well thought of two-year-old, and uh, they they clearly thought thought as much spending 400000 on this one. So blinkers go on. Laces is, is back, so maybe that's why the summer stakes was such a dud of an effort and uh, should be able to get it. So I love these two horses in this spot, and I think should be uh, able to get some good value with, like you mentioned, Olivia Rose taking all the money. Yeah, exactly. I think the right right opportunity to have some alternatives. Uh, Inundation, first-time Lasix as well, off the pace type, will probably benefit from a little pace in front of her, and Olivia Rose is going to have to deal with that pedi- that uh, pace pressure, as you alluded to. On to the nightcap, rock bottom maiden claimers at six furlongs. <laughs> Big, bulky field here, and you mentioned to me that this was the race that was taking you a little bit longer to get prepared for. I think you could, I could have probably given you another couple hours. I don't think you would have had a had much of it you know one of the things we generally run into in these kind of races drew is is a big class dropper and that's the case with the six astapavo who is uh, doing exactly that coming out of the 25 down to 23 and a half in for seven thousand. not even the 7500 he's in for the seven thousand to take full advantage of the weight break do you uh you think this likely favorite can get the job done or are you looking for alternatives no i that's that's the only thing i could come up with i was trying to come up with something more creative but the number six is where i landed at three to one I, I think this horse is going to have some speed and there's no finishers. And uh, this is a race where I have a, the voice in my head is Sean Borman talking about the, the lack of finishability and the, the <laughs> just this overall bunch is just a head scratcher. And I would love to have hear Sean's thoughts on this, uh, on this type of event, but I'm with the six. Otherwise, if the six doesn't win, I think chaos is set up here with a bunch of leg-weary horses, who's going to be able to uh, stagger across the finish line first, I think, at that point. But we hope for safe trips, and the number six gets up, and uh, our single gets through. Yeah, these situations are tough, because if you're going against this horse, you're you're likely having to manufacture a case <coughs> Excuse me for somebody else, and that's just not really a rabbit hole I want to go down. There are a couple of horses drawn towards the inside that have shown speed against these low-level runners, and um, they'll probably just make just set it up for a horse like Ostapovo to to maybe stalk and pounce late. I think there are some, maybe some interesting fool around horses underneath. Um, She's not going to be much of a price, but I thought the nine Polar star was getting a little bit better now as time went by facing males. Once again, Busta Groove was also a a late running tide. Maybe they could get a share of it, but not so much on the win end. It does look like Ostapovo will be pretty tough to handle to close out this sequence. Well, Drew, thanks so much for joining us. Of course, the Woodbine tips along with the cooking ones that I know you're certainly uh, replete with as time goes by. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, this is going to be a great little sequence. And I think that nightcap is a heck of a betting race. If you do get stuck in on an opinion and can figure out who actually can finish in that bunch, I think you're going to get still get paid because I don't think Ostapova is going to go below two to one. So thanks for uh, chatting with me today about this. And let's uh, let's get some winners. For sure. Looking forward to it. A big Saturday of racing, a big Saturday of sports in general with the game coming up at noon Eastern time should be a lot of fun. Drew, thanks again. And uh, we're going to keep this show moving right along. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Players Podcast. A big thank you to all of you for listening in. Rate, like, subscribe, do all those things that you do to keep us going 
Again, we appreciate your uh, patronage. And of course, if you're an In The Money Plus member, thanks again for subscribing. We're going to have plenty of content for you throughout the holiday season as the uh, racing, good racing never stops, especially looking forward to a week from now when we have the Claiming Crown at Fairgrounds as well as some of the action at uh, Aqueduct for the Cigar Mile and the start of the championship meet at Gulfstream Park. For Sarah El Badwi and Drew Coatney, Nick Tamaro here. Until next time, best of luck.